0: Hey everybody! Welcome back to Not Say Four Wonks tonight. Brandon Buchanan is here. Kennedy Cooper is here. Our editor Ren is here. I don't know if he's going to like speak or vocalize. Our lovable twelve-year-old Bolivian child, but most importantly, <laughs> as the main event, <laughs> um, uh, Charlie Madison Winters is here. Uh, she is running for Congress, Colorado First District. We're going to hear all about the district all about why she's running, all, like, tons of topics. Um Charlie, just say hello to the people, and, um,
1: yeah, introduce yourself. Hello to the people. I'm Charlie Madison-Winter, she, her. Uh, I am exactly as described running here uh, in Denver for Congress.
0: <laughs> Colorado, by the way, yeah, in fact, for people, because this show, we do so many, we do a lot of inter, we do kind of a decent number of interviews. So it's like Texas 1, Georgia 7, Georgia 13, New York 4, Ke- I ask people to, like, describe their district. Denver. What is... Tell tell us what Colorado 1 is. What it looks like. What the neighborhood is like. All that kind of good stuff.
1: Okay, Denver. Den- Denver 1 is the entirety of Denver County, as far as I'm aware. It's basically... We have... Denver International Airport up at the top and it's just this little chunk off to the side and then it stretches down over the entirety of the Denver metro area and then down south a little off to the weird side. It, it, it's one of those gerrymandered districts but it's actually All are. okay considering. Uh, but, okay, describe the district. Um, What's it like? Who's, who lives there? Who lives here? Gosh, everybody lives here. Like So, I mean, it's, a down, it, it's the downtown metropolitan area and everything surrounding it. So like, we have the downtown area where apartments are like, you know, uh, $1,400 to $4,000 a month, million dollar homes, stretching out, popping up here and there, lots of gentrifying areas. And then we have these rings surrounding it, where all the working class people are slowly moving out to. And a lot of uh, folks have been pushed out outside the district at this point. But because it was drawn so long ago. I mean, this is the thing about living in Colorado. Is I've lived here since I was about three years old, and we lived in a suburb uh, in Louisville when I was growing up, which is I don't know, half an hour out of Denver, is halfway between Denver and Boulder, if that means anything to anyone listening. Um, but when we moved here, it was it was much small. Everything was much smaller. Basically, everything has grown up around Denver in my lifetime. It's changed rapidly. I can't think of a single year of my life where things stayed even remotely the same. And that constant flux has just created this strange mix in Denver. One where you have where it's it's starting to finally calcify into being much more like extreme income inequality in the way that we all understand cities. Because we're we've been a fucking great place for land speculation and uh, fix and flip for you know decades like anything i'm talking mm. about i'm talking about shit over the last 30 years so like yeah it's always happening and also you know i can't live here except for my (laughs) partner's job which we got fucking lucky to find a house anywhere that we can rent reasonably we pay 1400 a month and that's holy uh, shit yeah people say to us god damn that's incredible how do you pay so little and i'm like we're fucked oh jesus i can't (laughs) like
0: yeah for 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 me i mean i live in atlanta uh you can find places that are like $500 Five hundred dollars a month. They're going to be dirty and dingy or whatever, but you can you can live inside the city. Um, our representative is John Lewis, and he's fine. I mean, he he's he has some shitty tendencies, but overall, I mean, he's John Lewis. So you know, nobody's going to like really buck him or go against him. He's got a lot of weight here. Who's your rep? I know they're not John Lewis level. Uh, who's your rep? How how good are they? Are you ready to replace them? Is this an open seat? What's the deal?
1: Um, the current representative is Diana DeGette. Uh, she's been in office for since 1997, I believe. Um, I believe she's like the. I believe she's the majority whip in the House. She's been there for a long fucking time. More of my life than not at this point. She's fine, sort of like. This is the thing is Yo. <laughs> she, she, she's 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 a mediocre bulwark against further um, gutting of everything. On the other hand, we look at the record of the last 20 years. 22 years, whatever it's been at this point, and she helped preside over all that. And as the majority whip for some portion of that, every single shitty Democratic vote that we look at and go, "Why the fuck did they vote for that?" She was there in the background, wheeling and dealing and doing whatever, and she's she knows she's safe. It's a it's a seat that she's held for a long time, and I don't want to disrespect the good votes that she's had. Like you know, the thing is, like she'll vote against the Iraq War. Great, solid. But then, once the Iraq war has started, she'll throw some money at it because well, it's here now like it's yeah. it's a very it's a very status it, it's a very slow death by a thousand cuts enervation to the status quo it It doesn't work. You need something a lot bolder and louder in congress than than what she does and
2: look, you're the candidate. you can't say it. I'll just say it If someone's been in office this long and we're looking around at the current state of things, you haven't done enough. I'm yeah, sorry, but like kinda how I feel, <laughs> you know, like many crises <laughs> around us and, and you can't, you can't just be like, oh yeah, I've been in office for 25, 30 years. Like a lot of these people have in Congress and, and say, oh, I did everything I could. No, you didn't. We have way too many problems.
0: I feel like there are a lot of Democrats that are in safe districts that have done go along get along for 20 years and they are on a collegial basis with their colleagues and all other good stuff but they have forfeited the ability to be national leaders and that means like having an ideology and standing firm on ideology and uh, helping communicate that with people who might not have the luxury of living in Denver right downtown Denver Colorado and need, like, that ability to communicate values. So I think one of the things that I'm interested in for this election cycle is taking people who are, like, not necessarily, you know, talking about what we're against, but what we're for, um, and I think that it's a good idea to have people who are for a bold progressive agenda. So uh, right. can, you, can you kind of talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, ju- just to, to the f- the first thing you said, it's like, Right. That's kind of what that's what I'm trying to to do here. I'm trying to paint a picture of the future that people can go, oh shit, we can have that, and then I want them to watch who stands in their way. Like, you know, whether you know whether or not I win this election, whether or not you know, no matter how the next five years shake out, I want whatever we're building now to paint something that makes people realize who the fuck is standing in the way of it. Because we could have a lot right now if anyone was dedicated to doing it. You know, we didn't have to gut things didn't have to fucking go this way they never had to fucking go this way and they don't have to do it again
0: was there a single incident where you said okay screw this i got to run for office against this person or was it a gradual process
1: no it's a it's a gradual thing i mean running for office is something that's kind of been in my mind for a long time in my life i really do enjoy politics i i was one of those people who was just sort of terminally paying attention to it and then that morphed into like you know reading philosophy talking to people on the internet learning shit like about different ideologies and coming to a particular, uh, one of my own, all that aside, it's, it's, there's no particular, that's the thing. That's the thing about my entire life. Like there's no breaking point. Like when I was 12, we had nine 11 and there was a massive anti-war movement that, you know, made kid me sit there in high school going like, yeah, it seems kind of fucked up that it's been four years now and we're still at war. And that was fucking, four years at the time. Uh, I mean, I do want to salute the posters out there before I go any further on that one, because, like, I can't, I, I can't, it's hard. My brain doesn't, I mean, that's part of it, is I can't effectively post. I don't know how to fucking turn myself into a brand on the internet easily, which I guess I have to do for politics. But spoke, anyway, anyway, you answer your question. spoke on your Twitter uh,
0: about the posting economy, so uh, once oh talk God. about... that was...
1: That was that. We were we were at a coffee shop, and Ben took my phone and posted "cringe" on my account. <laughs> That was oh, a great post.
0: No. Oh, wait. Was Can it? You talk? Yeah. I need you to share your vision <laughs> of the posting economy. Then we'll go back to per-
1: personal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that was Ben, but I do support that. No, I mean, it's like the, we have a fucking posting economy at this point. Everyone's out there just churning through posts on the internet, churning out content. And all of these tech companies are just stumbling over themselves to monetize our need to like reach out and have friends through the internet because they've fucking taken away my ability to like, I don't have a fucking job, and so here we are. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love everything that's going on in the internet. I love posting, but I want to be in the same room with people. Like, I want to have fucking friends. I don't want to just have to go to the internet. And Twitter is just reaping money hand over fist. And you know, unionize the content creators. Get the people who make the 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 shit withholding their work if the if if the platform won't behave. Are you someone who supports
0: a posting strike? You know, no more posts if you guys aren't doing the right thing over there at Twitter.
1: I feel like if we, that's a tough one because if we have a general strike, posting should be a part of that. But we're going to need to post to coordinate the general strike. Now, there are so, too many
0: posting scabs out there. I don't trust everybody.
1: You know, <laughs>
2: you know people are going to be posting. posting
1: scabs. Right. The second Do Not Eat starts stops uploading. You know, city skylines, train transit videos. Someone else will step in to take that clout. <laughs> i'm sorry that was good
0: (laughs) (laughs) well okay what realistically can we do to rein in um places like twitter facebook etc that have kind of become the town square digitally but they are privately held should we break them up should we be looking into creating alternatives like mastodon like what is a good solution in terms
1: of poster rights. Gosh, I mean genuine. So that's a genuinely good question that I think about. I mean, I have I sort of have the feeling about like Twitter that I do about the state, which is like if we can reclaim literal physical space in the world for the public, the need for Twitter will slowly wither away and we won't have to worry too much about it. On the other hand, Twitter is currently owned by private fucking posting overlords who can control what content we actually see and how and I don't know. That seems ripe for nationalization or some sort of public ownership. You know,
2: mm, yeah.
1: I would love to see. I would love to see us actually. Like, I mean, I support. So, so we've been talking about this a little bit in one of the in one of the other discords. I'm in about like a right to. This is more technology broadly, but we're talking about like a right to repair, a right to uh, upgrades, a right to. Ba- it's basically a right to have technology that functions for long periods of time into the future. And just taking away the power of like... Apple to make a new phone every year so they can just slow, they, they just slowly churn through the Earth's resources at like a, a hundred times the pace they ought to. Not because that we shouldn't be making better technology but because you have, like, I I, ha, I have sitting on my desk here my iPod video that I bought when I was in high school with my first paycheck at a fucking subway and I love this thing and I want to use it till I die. I'm going to keep upgrading it and repairing it until I fucking keel over and <laughs> I like it. It's what I want, and I should have the right to do that. And as part of that, we were talking about like more universal standards through like because on my platform, I have uh, I want inst- to institute the Department of Science in the government to just fund lots of uh, public domain projects in science, uh, public or open source projects in tech, things that are available to everyone, and also mandating standards so that like maybe. Uh, there's one standard audio format that everything has to be able to to uh, coordinate under, and we can. There's lots of people doing great open source work out there already who are not part of these established behemoths that can do that. I'm no expert in technology. I know more than the people who are in office right now. I'll tell you that much. I can Google an answer at least. But hey, do you know
2: that Facebook <laughs> is on the internet?
1: <laughs> wow. Because
2: if so, I think you know more than most of the Congress people based on hearings I've watched. <laughs>
0: Oh, technology hearings on the uh, like are full of right wing shitheads who have clearly never touched a computer in their life. I think I'm not. This isn't real journalism. I think <laughs> that Lindsey Graham does not read his emails. He has he has his staff print his emails. And physically read them to him because he does not know how to use a web browser. Like, the average Republican is so far behind technology issues that like really shape our lives. It is ridiculous. It's amazing.
1: You know, that's fair. I mean, I remember the whole series of tubes comment in high school. That was that was something. I, and sorry, one sec. My partner brought me dinner. This is lovely. I'm so happy. Aww. They're, they're lovely. Their name is Kennedy.
0: Holy shit.
1: That's amazing.
2: <laughs> another Kennedy? Uh-huh. We have
0: three now because uh one of our cousin podcasts, not sister, because they've never been on this show, but Bad Praxis has a host named Kennedy. Uh, oh, that's and right. I and I always say that she should come on the show so we can have double the Kennedy. Yeah, that would be amazing. I want
2: to have that. a triple Kennedy. Oh, so maybe you <laughs> should get your
1: partner here so they can have triple Kennedy. He fucking rad. I, I we do do that. I'll get them in here. They will hate every ever loving second of it. And I think I could probably okay. get them to do two sentences. Love it. Perfect. Okay, so I was, listen. I was yeah. Go ahead. Ahead.
0: No, you go ahead
1: oh, oh no, I was just I was just gonna say like it took me a couple, it, it took me a few days to be just like Kennedy will you please do twitch streams with me so like I just want them to just sit there on the camera because I want to start doing twitch streaming for the campaign that'd be fun it'd be good and I just I just want them to sit there next to me on camera and read to me like because we had because because they were reading they, they they were reading to me Andrew Yang's drug platform the other day on the couch and I was just ah! stopping around the house screaming about it because it's so bad. Oh, I want to
2: this as a Twitch stream. Yeah. No, yeah. I get it already. Yes, this yeah, is
1: good. Yeah, and I was like, please just sit next to me on camera and read it to me. I'll just, I'll, I'll yell. I'll drive my train simulator or something. It'll be fun.
0: Are you a train simulator person?
1: Not in the way other people are, but I have a train simulator on the Xbox. I've taught myself to drive the Long Island Railroad. I really enjoy it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn to drive the Caltrain at some point. I, I, yeah the older i get the more i become a train simulator person
0: okay how old are you are you a gamer and what games are you playing now what what are your favorite games last
1: couple years oh fuck okay so i'm 30 so i did grow up with games like halo was middle school and high school for me so that was that was rad um i don't know i tend i tend to be like really behind on actual like main games what am i playing a bunch of right now i'm playing a lot of No Man's Sky. I enjoy that. That's a good one. That turned yeah. into something really cool. It came um, up, yeah, glowed up. It really did. It really yeah. did. It was terrible for a while there, but now it's amazing, and I absolutely fucking love it. I'm playing that, um, I'm always, in, I'm always into city skylines. Uh, love that game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fuck. What else do I play?
0: Are you, are you into Sims?
1: No. I mean, I enjoy my train simulator. I like city builders it's it it, the 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 transit and city design oriented sims i enjoy but i don't really play any other sims although i guess a lot of this i i really just like single player games i can play by myself in a room because like i usually gaming has always been the thing i did when i'm just like fucking done with the world and so i tend to like gravitate to things like that i just started going through ff7 again that was cool i have i've never gotten past disc one more than once and I know I should have beaten it by now, but I got it on the extra planet. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: okay, okay. This is this is kind of an offbeat question, but I yeah. feel like it is floating on the periphery of all the things we're talking about. Okay. Um, you're a millennial. Uh huh. Uh, loneliness. Eighteen percent of millennials. I read a survey today. Uh, say that they have zero friends. Ooh. Um, in terms of our public policy and isolation and alienation um what should america maybe not even just you but what should america be doing to integrate people with their communities like what can we be doing to make people feel like they are part of a whole again and i feel like that's something that comes up with mass shooting it comes up with our employment i think that there's like a sickness at the heart of a lot of our our issues that's just people feel like they are not part of the world um what can we be doing as a government to bring people into feeling like they are part of a whole i mean
1: so much of i, I mean i'm going to just go out on a limb and blame capitalism for most of all of these problems and it's it's because this is the thing is i the economy collapsed 6 months after i graduated high school it was okay. o- it was fucking over like When when it comes to, like, it's tough because we weren't prepared to have friends and shit. We weren't... We were prepared to compete with one another. We were prepared to fight for what jobs existed, and they theoretically existed. I don't don't think they actually did, but we were told they did, and the state of things before the economy collapsed would suggest that there was. But, like, I'm looking forward to the day... Like, fuck, I'm having... I have... Fuck, that's hard, because it's like... I don't feel like we've been prepared at all to have friends, we've been prepared to compete and fuck over one another as much as possible. You know, generations of like fucking colonialism and war and just constant gutting of the welfare state created a situation where most of us didn't even get to grow up with parents who like had enough or were fucking okay. Like. I don't just the 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 just how how emotionally gutting this system is to the general humanity of all people. I I mean I believe that we can address it and I will talk about policy prescriptions, but I'm just kind of like there even if we like if we give everyone healthcare, we give everyone a house and tell them you own this until you move out when give it to someone else who needs it, you know, uh, until we make sure everyone has a home until we make sure everyone has food. Like we're doing all of this stuff. And like, I think the number, like one of the number one enemies to this kind of progress, I feel like is people's recognition of how fucked up it's been. Cause like when I talk about people, like when I talk about like food for all with people, I you know I love that. I think our food production should be done, you know, by people, local supply chains, unionized work, um, co-op work there's a lot to say in there but like giving food to all people taking those supply chains out of the hands of agribusiness and delivering them into the hands of people so that we can distribute food to actually fucking feed everyone on this planet we we want to just give everyone food and when i'm talking to people they say to me but but we can't just give everyone food because they they'd hoard it they'd take it all and it's like yeah you're getting it you're getting how fucked up this like not even knowing if you're going to be able to like like You know, I've had the i've I've not gone hungry in my life, but I've had to put food on credit cards many, many times to be able to eat. And even just knowing, like I'm gonna suffer for the next two to six to eight months for this, just because you want to fucking eat. Like, yeah, that does something fucked up to your brain. I'm so mad about this. I'm so mad about this. It just I. It does something to you and it's like we see it in the way that like suburban conservatism operates it's the fuck you got mine I'm gonna hoard food I'm gonna keep it all and you know those of us who don't have enough are sitting here wanting to just give it to everyone to distribute it amongst people but there's this there's this brainworm enemy of progress that everyone's like but if we just give people stuff won't they just hoard it and fuck everyone over and it's like n- no but but if we actually gave everyone all of this shit tomorrow there would be like fucking chaos as we all finally had the room to breathe and grieve all of this shit that we've had to go through just to like make it to the age of 30 or 50 or whatever you made it to and and that's going to wreck us cuz like I know people my age who like I'm lucky that like despite the fact that I remain chronically unemployed I have a partner who has a stable job and a bachelor's degree so I can fucking survive but I don't have to be in that position I got lucky and I recognize how precarious that is and how good how good that is for me but like there's so many yeah and and that's and that's like I guess to, to address the question more directly like well what can the government do it's like well uh, I feel like the function of the government should be to ensure that everyone has you know not just people here but every Everywhere, in any way that, like, what, whatever, whatever the purpose of the state will be until it withers away, it should be to guarantee that everyone has a bare minimum standard that cannot be taken from them that we control and we own. And it should simply facilitate the distribution of. Uh, I want to see everyone who has a home. Uh, I want to see everyone have a home. I want to see everyone have food. I want to see everyone have health care. I want to live in a world where I, I, I want, I mean, I want to abolish rent in my lifetime. I want to see that shit gone. And we have a chance to do that now because nobody fucking likes it. and I don't think we're going to just legislate our... This is the thing. It's so hard to answer this question because you're like, what can we do as legislators? And I'm like, honestly, I'm just looking at my job as a legislator to be to pass laws that make it a little, make it a little bit easier and make a material difference in people's lives right now. You know, shit as simple as, uh, capping two prescriptions at 200 bucks a year. We're making them free eventually trying to do free college. Like this is all just stuff that frees up time. So we, as, as, as working people, as, as, as disenfranchised folks can come together and collectively demand shit and build a power that exists outside of the government. So we don't have to just rely on it to like, give us our fucking freedom stipend so we can buy the new Xbox. I s- <laughs> we
0: are united in rejecting the freedom stipend on this show.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we,
2: we might have one or two critiques of UBI as a show. Um, okay, solid. But,
1: uh, <laughs> I mean, pe- people we don't have ask, to get into that right now. That's okay. No, that's uh, okay. But, it's okay. We don't have to get into that. People ask me if I support UBI, and the thing I always say is, I, I support universal basic services, homes, food healthcare all of it that should be just existing in the hands of people you I, I shouldn't have to pay money to my privately owned power generation company excel energy or whatever the fuck it is to, to to keep the lights on like thanks like that that there's a perfect example there you know there are laws that prevent my my privately owned power company from shutting off my power for a few months if i'm behind on payments they can't just turn it off if i can't pay it one month that's good. I will happily pass laws like that to to give a little breathing room. But ultimately, my goal is to help facilitate a mass movement of people to take the shit out of the hands of those private owners and return something as basic as the power we need to record this podcast into the hands of the people. That's, that's my job.
2: Yeah, that sounds pretty reasonable. Like, look, I, that's yeah. a good way to look at it. It's not, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people that are trying to get into politics right now kind of have this viewpoint more so of like looking at it as just uh, a part of a system or a means to an end or a type of service or these kind of frameworks that I think idyllically every politician would look at them from. But we know just realistically, a lot of these people are not, you know, coming from any kind of real actual position of wanting to listen to constituents and make something happen that's transformational for those people's lives.
0: I had a interesting disagreement with a black activist in Atlanta. Uh, I said, healthcare was the number one hurdle facing like the the poor and middle-class in in my city. And he said, it's actually transportation. Um, Just the ability to get to your job can be an economic limiter, um, just in terms of you know where you can get and how you can get there and how much time does it take, and how early do you need to wake up in order to get, you know, from one place to another. So without weighing in on healthcare versus transportation, can you talk a little bit about what our transportation policy should be in Denver and in America as a whole and your interactions with that system?
1: Yeah. Absolutely, because I mean, yeah, it's a it's a really fucking fair point. Is if it, it, it doesn't help to build hospitals if you can't get to the hospital, um, but. Oh, shit. <laughs> But yeah, it's like, so where we're at in Denver right now, just to give a little background for people is, you know, we have RTD. It's the regional transportation district. There's an elected board that that oversees it, but it's also, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an expert on this, but I'm learning a lot as I go. But basically where we're at is there's a regional board that we elect. And a lot of those elected people come from like the suburbs and outside areas that it goes to. So there's always this sort of like, like, we need so much here in the city itself, and right now what we're dealing with is uh, we're dealing with service cuts, we're dealing with fare increases, it's basically, it's getting more expensive, it's getting, it's getting worse, and despite the fact that we have years and years of consistent transit expansion, ridership is going down year over year, which is making it more expensive to ride even in the first place, and because a lot of folks have been like, when I was a kid, even in, in elementary school, like I, I went to elementary school in Boulder, while, even though I lived in Louisville. And so I took the, 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 the RTD bus, with my dad, in, into Boulder in the morning for school a lot of times. And I rode the bus all the time as a kid. And now I don't really ride it so much anymore. And the thing I've been hearing from people about it is no, it feels worse because it's much worse. We have all this fantastic expansion, and they can't even keep people operating the buses and trains because they have a driver shortage and the job is terrible. And now that they're short, the job is even more terrible. And to just be able to get ahead, even driving a train for them, you have to, you have to like do mandatory overtime, work yourself to the fucking bone. It, it, it's just absolutely unsustainable. And uh, to, to, to loop around and answer the question more directly, it's, I mean, I, th- we can thank Ben for this one. Ben has, Ben is my transit guy. He's, 16. He knows everything about trains. And he's just he has one of the best transit plans I've ever seen. And it's 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 building off of uh, the, the, there's a lot I'm going 10 different directions. But but the core is we have, a, you know, a, it was $2.6 trillion infrastructure plan to build high speed rail, not just between major cities, but between every major metropolitan statistical area, which is basically every city and smaller city. And the suburbs surrounding them, and I mean that—that's a big part of this. I—I I think the government should be providing public transit. It should be providing it for free. There's no reason we need to have fares for any of this because I mean that—that's what what's been so beautiful about all of the actions that we've been seeing in New York is people just making it known that the amount of money they spend on fare enforcement could nearly make these things free, if not completely. And that's wild. And and the same thing here is. Denver's uh, public transit has been so gutted into this. In, it, it's this ever-growing patchwork of services that is being fueled internally by less and less resources, and the decisions of where the trains go are being driven not by you know the people in the city who need to take the bus across town to get to their job, but by one person who represents the city and a bunch of people who represent the suburbs who might want to come into the city on the weekend for a good time. And like, cool, I support that, but that's not the only train we need. And I would like to see these jobs unionized. I would like heavily, I mean, a lot of them are obviously because they act there. A lot of them are already unionized because they're still hold over, holdovers from a time when we have, Decent infrastructure like the infrastructure this this is the thing I, I really want to stress to everyone is the transit infrastructure we're dealing with right now in the United States writ large is worse than it was in like the, the, the fucking like late 1800s like like post Civil War era had better street cars and tr- public transit networks in cities than, than we have now like. <laughs> Not that I might be getting my time's wrong exactly, but like let I me, mean, I don't actually know when that was. I, I I don't cut that out if I'm wrong about exactly when it was, but I do know we're go- we're going into like late eighteen hundreds era here of like wait,
0: wait before you go further, make yeah. a generic statement that is very broad and that way. We can cut in just in case your facts are inaccurate. We can
1: still make you sound smart. Okay. Um, the, the thing I really want to stress to people is that we, as long as we've been building cities in this country, we have had to create some sort of public transit. But the gutting of our public transit system that we've seen over the last 70 years or whatever ridiculous amount it's been at this point, and particularly over the last 30, is so substantial we're we're nearly back to zero. Like that's the thing I don't think people get is like if you have a car you're going to be you're you're going to be okay. It's not good. Expanding lanes on highways has been shown again and again to not actually reduce congestion but to make it worse. Great example is the expansion of I25 I- around Denver. They're trying to expand I70 around Denver. Uh, the traffic is worse than before they did it at this point because that's just what happens. It grows. Yeah, so much
0: of what you're saying has parallels with um the things that are going on in Atlanta because we're trying to build out of of our traffic
1: situation and it never works. Okay, yeah, it's yeah, it it do- not only does it not work but like the public transit infrastructure that we're trying to to deal with now is, is worse than it's almost ever been. We don't even have streetcars running up and down the major roads anymore in a way that I could like, you know, walk a few blocks down to Colfax and take it down the road to the Capitol building or something. Like I, I have to take two buses. It takes 40 minutes. It always takes longer by transit than car. And it could literally be the reverse. And I would like it to be the reverse because the only cities that seem to have any transit infrastructure in them in any meaningful way are the ones that built it before everyone got in power who wanted to destroy it before we built the highway system before we built any of this and that's not even going into the, the 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 long and horrible racist history of just tearing down entire neighborhoods so suburban drivers could 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 motor their cars through the big the big urban highways to work and it sucks we're we're, we're start but this is the beauty of starting from almost nothing is we can build it all like the highway system exists because because of the auto lobby, because they lobbied the government to build a massive nationwide transit infrastructure. And you know, we had this you know we we have the concept of freeways, the roads that you have the right to travel on that will be provided to you as a as a as a patron of the roads. And that's really cool. What if that was just a high speed train that got you from city to city that you could put your bike on and you didn't even need, you could just walk everywhere you went in the majority of the country. Cause this is the, this is the thing that really frustrates me with that whole, like we're creating this, this, how do I say this? The, the, the shitty part about all of this capitalist destruction of our infrastructure is it's created this ridiculous urban rural divide where like I'm, I, you know, I'm out there railing against cars, as a concept. And I meet people who come into the city who live a little further out of the city and they say, um, we need cars where we are. And I'm like, right, if the only cars that existed on the road were not clogging the cities, but were instead as people needed them outside of them, that would be fucking fine. Like, there's so much that's acceptable in moderation. It's like, you know, I talk to I meet a strangely large number of uh right-wing uh trans folks when I when I like go out to the the, the 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 clubs or whatever on the rare chance I do. And we end up in a corner, just yelling politics to each other, which fun, fine. That's how it's well, I'd rather spend my evening anyway. But it's, it's cause the, in, and they're like, but you can't just ban gas powered vehicles. We need them where we are because you can't just build that infrastructure there. And the thing I always responded with is one, why not? Let's build the infrastructure there. So you don't need them. And two, if that's the only place they were, it wouldn't be a big deal. Like, you know, running a, running a, a, a running farm equipment off of a non-renewable resource is not as big of a deal in the short term if we can get all of this other fucking shit burning out of it. On the other hand, a lot of the pollution comes from the agriculture sector and we should be working as hard as we can to make that sustainable. And I have a, I have a lot I can say on, um, yeah, sustainable universal policies. I mean, there's going to have to be different applications of them depending on where they're built in the, in the, in the country. But, you know, I, I have a, I have a farmer's bill of rights on my platform, even though like pretty much none of my district is remotely related to that just because like, I, I, one of the things that's on there is a, is a right to community. Like we devastated rural areas through deindustrialization and wait, wait,
0: stop. I'm going to hold you up. Explain what a farmer's bill of rights is. Are farmers being deprived in some way? What's the background of that? And then how does your
1: policy help them? Okay. So, I mean, yes, farmers are being deprived of stuff. We, over, over, the majority of farmland and farm work is 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 uh, either done by done regardless of of, of how any given Agricultural thing is structured. It is all done under the thumb of agribusiness. You have to grow their crops. You're not allowed to save seeds. You have to shell out money to them every year. You have to shell out money for their specific pesticide that their specific plant is resistant to. You have to do all this shit. Then these companies spend millions of dollars lobbying in the government to fuck over our immigration policy so that they have an exploitable underclass of people coming into our country because they went into their country as big American agribusiness Business devastated the local farm economy there, so they couldn't, you know, and undercut all of the food. Like, you know, if you're fucking, you you, you you're, you're you're gonna buy the food that you can afford. And if your local economy has been devastated by American, uh, uh, which corporate colonialism, and you don't have a fucking job, you're gonna buy the food from whoever can sell it to you the, the, at the cheapest because they've destroyed your entire farm economy. So now they have a whole group of people coming across the border who are now an exploitable underclass for these agribusiness uh, giants to use to do farming here for just shit wages, just horrible conditions it uh, all of it i don't want to speak too much for people who have to suffer under that but like it's very like there's a re like agribusiness has an explicit profit-based motive to fuck over our immigration system and not just let people in what we've created is this horrible world where money is allowed to flow freely across borders anywhere it wants but people aren't Because as long as people are restricted, that money will be able to shuffle them wherever it needs to create the lowest paid group of people it possibly can. And so when I talk about a farmer's bill of rights, I'm talking about things that will return control of food production to the communities that produce them and give labor rights to whoever is doing that whether or not they're a quote-unquote citizen like whether they have the appropriate documentation like all people doing that work deserve to have ownership over that production and we should be working collectively collaboratively to, to 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 bring that food production uh out of we have all these corn and dairy and meat subsidies uh to create the wealthiest, the the, the most wealth-producing cash crops. Meanwhile, we could be using that to grow things that grow in your local climate. We could be creating interesting ecosystem-based landscapes where we have trees that grow certain kinds of nuts under which various vegetables grow, uh, paired with Various kinds of plants that uh, that help repel pests, so you can reduce dependency on pesticides. And I'm very, I'm very into that kind of idea. I, I I'm no expert. I don't I don't want to pretend to be. But I I I, I what, when I wrote the Farmers' Bill of Rights, it was just sort of trying to keep in mind. Okay, so we have to take it out of the hands of agribusiness because they will something as simple as a right to repair. I want to give farmers the right to repair because you know you yeah. need massive farm equipment in order to do these massive agricultural things and they don't even have the right to like, you know, dick around with things when they break. They have to just pay the company whatever price that the company says so they can send out their company tech and they keep it locked down. Simple things like that. Um, you know, A large amount of the U.S. farmland is owned by uh, people in other countries. I, I, On one hand, I'm like, well, okay, global world, whatever. When it comes to something as simple as food production, I'm like, no, we shouldn't own farms in other countries. They shouldn't own farms here. Food production should be produced by and for the people who are producing it and then and then and and, and and the communities they serve which
2: could you could you maybe address a little bit cuz i noticed your platform talks about things like the the cost of farm equipment and things like that um could you address a little bit like how prohibitively hard it is for like people in their communities to just like have local food production the way that it works now and how just like relatively inaccessible that is and how this contributes to things like food deserts
1: oh yeah i can talk about that like i mean i mean This is, I mean, this is the history of farming in this country to the best that I understand. It is just this constant, I mean, I mean, all the way, I mean, it's ever since this country fucking abolished slavery, they've been trying as hard as they can to find some way to make that sharecropping thing work, where they just keep people in some sort of debt peonage for as long as possible. And while I don't want to compare what people are dealing with now to that, there's just this constant churn that 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 tries to keep all of the resources as tightly held as possible we, we yeah we need to get give farmers material support in a real way uh, loans that are not predatory loans that are not designed to keep the cuz this is the thing is you have to like if you want to grow food all of the productive resources are held in hel- held by the rich you know you're not going to just get a large tractor for doing this work unless you go to the people who build those those things and keep Keep them under lock and key, and don't even allow you to repair them. You are, you know, you, you see the way large, large agricultural firms like go into India or something. I think it was in India where where one of them went in and crushed the people who were growing the potatoes that go into Lay's or something. Uh, it's, it's because they. Oh God, I'm going down a rabbit hole of um, <laughs> patenting genes and life, which is a whole other thing. I have thoughts about. I I, I I'm trying to. I'm it's so. I'm trying crazy, so hard. I mean, to,
2: it's all. You know, the, there's definitely like there's this gatekeeping system, and the patents are a part.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah, I'm setting up mind maps whenever you talk about things so that I can keep track of
1: all of your tangents. <laughs> so go go crazy. I'm uh, oh god, I'm doing my best. Um, it's so like yeah, when it comes to providing material support for farmers, that's really important. Something as simple as growing food for the community should not be in the hands of the wealthy and the powerful. And that should not be directed by whatever makes the most money. It should be directed by what people actually need. We don't need to grow, you know, tens of thousands of acres of fucking corn. Some of those could be used for something else. But a lot of these farmers aren't getting to choose what they want to grow because they have to make enough money. This is really what it comes down to. There's a lot of fucking people out there who are trying to grow food and trying to do farming. And they are forced to grow whatever the major corporation wants them to grow, because that is the only crop that they can grow at an, at a large enough scale to make enough profit to pay back the debt and the loans and the resources that that are being given to them by this locked down agricultural industry, that, that this big business uh, behemoth that's that's keeping them down. And so, when we provide resources outside of that, we give people the ability to, you know, th- this ties into. Um, like the idea of a of a, a land value tax versus property tax, where it's like it's it's very difficult right now to like grow some food in the city near where people could do it, despite the fact that I mean community gardens are popular. But if you wanted to like If there was a big empty lot downtown, you wanted to turn it into a a small farm for the downtown area that supplied people and restaurants and whatever else, unless we're living in a future without restaurants. I don't know. But if you want to do that shit, you can't really do it because the, the, the wealthy it's, I mean, well, it's in the hands of wealthy developers, but the most, the most cost efficient thing to put there is a parking lot right now, which sucks because like you could grow food there. It like, The land is not so poisoned we can't make this work and we have to regardless and god where am i going um the and even if we still have to deal with the slight commodification of housing in the immediate future as we work to decommodify it fine we need places where people can get a few bucks to do that and same goes for farmers if we want to keep if we want to wrestle the food the, the the food production chain out of their hands, we need to give people the ability to grow food outside of it. Because that's 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 the two places you attack it you unionize you, get, you gather everyone together who are working in, the, in that sector, and you also empower people to be able to do it outside of that sector. And then through there, you build actual power together. And, like, I mean, for God's sake, I'm trans. How many people do I know who are like, I sure wish I could just start a little bit of a trans commune, grow some food, do some stuff? I know people who are doing that in Colorado, and it's a constant chase for rent money to the person who owns the land who's like, hey, I'll, I'll maybe rent it to you or lease it to you, but you better be able to produce for long periods of time or I'll just be able to repossess it. And, like, that's, that's just chilling. Nobody can go out there and actually grow food for the community. And Instead, we just have to deal with factory farming and corn subsidies when, I mean, I don't think anyone morally, like, likes that. I I've been vegetarian my whole life. So like I have a lot of thoughts on like ethics regarding that stuff. But what I've come down to is in my adult life is I would really enjoy not being vegetarian. It'd be really nice if I could do that in a way that didn't like, like, I feel like because I've been vegetarian since I was born, I'm entering into that fucking system. But I also recognize that, I mean, there's no ethical consumption and also I'm doing fine without consuming it. So why not keep going? Charlie, have you, you've, You've never slipped? No. You're like a gold star vegetarian. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what that means. I mean, the world, the world. Wor- oh, you've never eaten. You've never eaten meat in your entire life. Not on life. purpose, but I, I have been given okay. it. Sure. Like, like, like yeah. it's, it's in, that it's in count. everything, but yeah, no, never on purpose. Right. I have, I've thought about, not I've thought about not being vegetarian on and off, but like, I don't know. I've just been doing it my whole life. It's how we cook. It's how I think about food i don't know there's something really like satisfying from a leftist perspective to walk into the grocery store and think like god i don't even buy 75 percent of this
0: i've seen your pictures you're in an excellent shape so it's not like you're losing anything <laughs> skipping out on meat
1: no and but but i have genuinely thought about um stopping being vegetarian just because like i do think there is an ethical way to do it i think there's an ethical way to consume meat i i that's a whole other discussion. I don't necessarily you might have to bring sorry, me back
2: ahead. for a discussion about
1: that because that is like yeah, a, that's a whole that is a whole, debate. especially yeah, in leftist exactly. spaces.
2: That is a whole thing, uh, to discuss, yeah. but it's a very interesting topic.
0: Okay, uh, listen, all right, let's just segue, let's get away from farming altogether, uh, and let's talk about we had an entire episode on the concept of a department of peace because it was like a, a thing that was, um, we thought, important for movement building. So I think we talked about farmers kind of in the sense of it being good for movement building when you have, excuse me, a certain base of activity for things like that. Can you talk a little bit about a Department of Peace and whose vision of a Department of Peace inspired you the most? Are you like a Gucinich person or a Barbara Lee person or a Marianne person? And, um, just kind of talk about what that department, as a federal branch, would mean for the United States as a whole.
1: So, I going to be honest. That was, so that that idea was a thing Ben brought to me. Actually, I don't really have an inspiration for that one because, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I I had not legitimately thought like because we we were talking about together ways to like dismantle the military industrial complex and destroy this awful colonial blood machine and one of the very simple ideas that ben presented to me was you know if we created a department of peace and mandated that it be funded as much as all of our other departments of war by law you, you can siphon away 50 percent of all of the resources that we use for war for things like medical aid and uh, support and food and you know USAID shit that isn't fucking coups which is great when those two things are separate within the fucking government because right now there is no daylight between those and it's uh it it sucks that the concept of like the u.s providing aid is actually some sort of sneaky way to like you know bomb your power power substations Mm. and do a coup
0: i'll tell you from a funding perspective 50% 50% is extremely radical because Williams Williamson, I know went around the country talking about the department of peace. And I was at one of her events and she said 5% would be enough. Um, can you talk just about the institutions that you would build with half of the military budget, which is just like the, if you, I know, you know, but for our listeners that might not know the military industrial complex exists in every single district in the country it is literally everywhere. So, what would a peace industrial complex look like to you? Because 50% of the
1: military budget is enough to yeah, create. Yeah, fuck. That. We could do so much with that amount of money. Um, It's, I mean, that's, that's, so this is a hard one for me because a large part, like, like part of the beginning is going to just be literal core reconciliation commissions to really just count up all the death, all the destruction, really reckon put on paper, easy access for everyone. Here is everything that this, that this industry has done. Part of the mission of the department of peace is to just make that as right as you possibly can. There's no easy solution there. Okay. So, so like from a bureaucratic perspective, one of the things that I'd like to see is a much heavier degree of international cooperation on the ground. I like any, anything that we're building here, anything that we're fighting for here, like, you know, I want to make the labor laws here. In this country. Amazing. I want to be there for that. I want to fight for that. But if there's no mechanism of enforcement to ensure that every single stage of the production chain, no matter where in the world it is, needs to be at least up to the standards of any US worker, then all we're doing is encouraging other places in the world to be fucked over in the way they've always historically been fucked over by us. And I don't want to see that. And so that's something like, you know, a really robust Department of Labor can partner with the Department of Peace on, is to to, to do deliberate anti-colonialist bureaucratic work. And I know that's kind of an uh, an oxymoron, and I don't feel great about saying it, but there is some there, there is some degree of th- – th- there's a limited amount of that that's possible, but insofar as we can uh, give power to workers around the globe – through some sort of like trade enforcement mechanism that way, uh, through some sort of bureaucratic expectation of standards that we can actually uphold. And, uh, that will go along in this. I'm, I'm trying to think globally about the same things that we deal with at home. It's like, well, if you can't fucking feed your family and you have to work 10 hours a day, like some of my friends do, then you don't exactly have time for movement building. And we could free up, uh, so much space for movement, like as, as one of the largest consumers of shit on the planet, we can do a massive amount to, to to undo that by just enforcing these standards that we expect for, uh, um, for Americans anywhere. And, and we can do it in a way that doesn't have to like, it's, it's just about giving breathing room to people who have to interact with the American system so that they can move to do the work that they want to do uh, against it with it whatever don't care but like fuck where am i going here let me think for a second there's only so much bureaucracy that can happen there but i I mean if we're being honest one of the reasons i want to do the department of peace is just so we can dump money somewhere that doesn't go to the military so we can just sort of earmark it for anything else like i think a lot about like food aid um uh, uh medical aid
0: we have the ability to give food aid to the entire world it's not a money problem. It's a logistics problem and a political will problem. So, I mean, you may choose to talk
1: about that. Yeah, the thing that that made me think of that I wanted to touch on is – so when it comes to a lot of this stuff, and because I'm trying to think like, okay, undoing colonialism, what does that look like? And it looks literally like – repatriation of resources back to places we have extracted them from so a department of peace is very much like okay so what you know if we can give aid back a community somewhere on the other side of the planet can say hey we need you know x infrastructure we need y we need z and as long as it it's like some base it's basically we give them shit predicated only on the idea that it is it is community owned it is worker owned it is it is that and then, and 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 at that we just start repatriating resources back to people because like i mean what was the fucking iraq war but just siphoning billions of dollars of oil out of that country i mean I I appreciate Trump would mask off with it of like, we're going to take the oil. And it's like, yeah, that's what it was always about. We always knew that one of the things the Department of Peace can do is just start repatriating resources. Because this is the thing that makes me nervous. I don't want to, as a governmental bureaucratic infrastructure, be telling the world what they should be doing with the resources that we stole from them so we can give it back to them. But I would really like to see a Department of Peace concertedly focused with finding people around the world who need... X, Y, and Z, giving them the resources to do it and saying, here, it's community owned. Really undermining the the whole um it, it could really seriously undermine the like uh non profit complex that just sort of like decide like, you know, fucking uh Jack Dorsey or whoever decides I'm going to just go to Africa, this nebulous place I've described, and give people fucking water. And it's like, thanks, asshole, I'm glad you control enough money that you can start a non-profit to get tax breaks to make more money, and all you do is uh, just ignore the actual spoken needs of people. A Department of Peace could literally just give people the shit they say they explicitly need, and we could distribute that based on need, and I think what we're gonna find is that need will be highest in the places that colonialism has ravaged, because we literally stole their shit, and yeah, we can start following Damn, I
2: mean, that's, that's... I, I couldn't really put it better than that. Charlie Madison Winters, everybody. <laughs> Incredible guest. I, we could go on and on, but unfortunately, we do have
1: to cut these recordings somewhere. Let that's the fair, people know. Fair.
2: How do they get involved with your campaign? How do they help you out?
1: All right. I'm gonna right now we're in signature gathering time. I need a lot of help gathering signatures because we got to get on that ballot in order to fight for this stuff in the first place. So we're we're going door to door, we're talking to people. I need help with that. You can go to my website. There's a there's a there's a form under the Organize tab you can fill out that'll send it to me. Uh, another great way to 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 get a hold of me, just just email me at the email link on my website. It's hello at charlemadisonwinners.com. That email goes straight to my phone. My DMs are open on Twitter. Those are the places I'm most active. Uh, just, just literally, just get at me there. Uh, but the website has a specific form for all the fancy things that that organizers do.
2: Very good. <laughs> Very good.
1: And as people, as people know, as people know,
0: it goes down in the DMs and organizing also goes down
1: in the DMs. That's, yeah, we, we, we have a Discord. All of our organizing currently is on Discord because we're we, with the Rose Caucus, with everything else, we're, we're all there. And so I started a Discord. So, hey, uh, get into my DMs, get on the Discord. We'll go from there.
2: <laughs> Sounds good. And we'll have links to all of that in the show notes, as always. Thank you so much for listening. We have been Not Safe for Wonks. I'm Kennedy Cooper.
0: Uh, this is Brandon Buchanan.
2: And our guest has been Charlie Madison Winters. She is running for Colorado's first district in Congress. This has just been a, a really fun time. So thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thank you. This has been really nice. Uh, what what can I say? I love a good chance to just go on about whatever I'm thinking about.
2: <laughs> That's what we're here for on this show.
1: <laughs> this is literally a
0: show that will just let you say whatever the fuck you want. We're a little bit like a better Joe Rogan because we never interrupt you too much. Like we just let you do, let you do your thing. We're very stylish. Uh, we let you just do your thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was great. So until next time, bye bye. Bye bye.